0: Hey everyone, here is Daniel Budai with a brand new episode of our e-commerce show. And today I'm here with the founder and CEO of Retention.com, the software company that I assume many of you already heard about. Adam Robinson from Austin. Hey Adam, how are you today? I'm great, Daniel. How are you? Yeah, everything is is great. So we will talk about retention, but before I always like starting with some, you know, personal stories and background. So I uh, checked your story on the website and I can see that you started your business career around the economic crash in 2008. So what was your first company and how did you jump into this whole entrepreneurship thing?
1: Yeah. So the first thing that I did was I was a credit default swap trader. I worked at Lehman Brothers. I started in 2003. The financial crisis was in 2008. So I, you know, it was really interesting sort of trajectory into that. Um, My friends who I was, who are my roommates in my first apartment in New York, they started Vimeo, the video sharing website, which I'm sure a lot of people have heard about in the apartment I was living in. So I watched them do that and I wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I had no idea what that meant. I just believed in myself and thought I could do it. And it was horrible, (laughs) the transition. There's nothing about my skills as a credit default swap trader that prepared me in any way to be an entrepreneur. So uh, I really had to learn the hard way. Um, But eventually I ended up in the email space and my first company was a company like Klaviyo who everybody knows and loves um just not nearly as prolific and successful as them we weren't targeting e-commerce either um and it led me it, that's a really difficult space there's because there are these colossal players like Klaviyo and Mailchimp for instance which I think a lot of people probably heard of also in e-commerce um and they have great products and Mailchimp's even free for for everybody and uh it's just you know, they have great brands and they're spending a lot of money on, um, advertising everything. So it's really hard to penetrate it. it, I think it's like selling Coca-Cola it's selling cola against Coca-Cola and Pepsi. It's like, are you really gonna, do you really think that's the best use of your time to like sell another cola or should you try to, you know, create some other type of drink? Right. So I was trying to do things that MailChimp was not doing probably five years ago, I heard that um, this identity technology, which is now the backbone of my entire company, the idea that you could get an email address from someone on a website who did not fill out a form, I found that to be, the as someone who owned an email company, I found that to be the most captivating thing i would ever heard of in my life. Um, and I saw that there were some tiny vendors doing it. And I just didn't think that they were you know, there were data companies who were like not software businesses. They weren't good at creating user interfaces and good customer experiences. And I just thought they were doing a really bad job at it. So I was like, I think I can, if somebody made this easy to use connected it to everything, like I, I was just like, I don't understand why every website on the internet wouldn't want to use this, you know? So fast forward until about 12 months ago, I started the company three years ago. Um, and about a year ago we realized that big shopify stores were the best customers for that product and um you know we built some more tools like uh so there's a tool that helps you grow your email list from people who don't fill out forms which is great but like you kind of have to have enough traffic and a big enough email list to start with and you have to be good at email you know there's kind of like a lot of ifs that make a big shopify store the perfect candidate and then if you're, if, if one of those ifs is off, if like, you either don't have traffic or your existing email list is too small, or you're not good at converting email, then it doesn't work for you. And it kind of causes more problems than it, it's, it solves. Um, but we have this other product, which, you know, uh, another problem is Shopify and Clavio can't send abandoned carts to like nearly the amount of people who are actually putting stuff in their cart and leaving. And there's a lot of reasons. One is you have to be the, the visitor has to be logged in or have to have made a purchase some sometime, sometime recently authenticated in some way. And Apple keeps ratcheting down the length of time that a person can stay authenticated on a website. It's down to seven days now on Safari. So sure. we have technology that through this identity mechanism we use will just feed events into Klaviyo to trigger those abandoned cart and abandoned product and abandoned checkout flows, which that's pretty good for everybody that has an abandoned car, an abandoned cart. Like everybody makes money on their abandoned cart. There's nobody who doesn't know how to do that. You know what I mean? Like, whereas kind of top of the, if you want to call it like higher in the funnel email, it gets, you know, some people are good at it. Some people are not if you're kind of early on or whatever. So anyway, um, we're focused on e-commerce now and uh you know i do a lot of building in public we're up to 20 million in revenue um we're bootstrapped it's been a an interesting journey
0: yeah i have a lot
1: of questions so
0: also that uh abandoned cart e, uh, abandoned cart flow is abandoned checkout right not many people well, they I mean so... in- Clavio
1: forces you to create the abandoned checkout flow when you create an account. They call that an abandoned cart flow. Yeah. The add to cart flow is the one that I'm talking about. So I use a different language than the Clavio uses. I shouldn't. I should just use the word, the language they use. So really, the flows that you should have set up that we can help with a lot are abandoned checkout, which is actually abandoned cart, mm-hmm. which they say.
0: Clavio, yeah, yeah
1: add to cart, and browse abandonment. So that's just when you look at a product and you leave, it'll fire an event over with the last product you looked at to trigger a flow that has that product in the email. And those work really well. And a surprisingly large amount of people don't have those set up. Yeah. Which like if there's one piece of advice that I can give, that's something that takes 30 minutes max, and it will just make money for you you know these triggered behavioral emails it's kind of the magic of Klaviyo they make it really easy to set up and deploy those and that's one that i'm just surpri- you know i'm just surprised by it the same thing with sms if your visitors and customers are willing to give you their phone number you should you shouldn't spam them every day with sms but you should definitely be using sms in your marketing program in certain situations, because it's just so valuable, you know. Yeah. Um, if the customers are willing, you to give willing to give you the phone numbers, it's just one of those things. Anyway,
0: yeah, I just wanted to mention this uh, whole thing about abandoned checkout flow, which is called abandoned cart in Yeah, because you know we want to educate the audience, and if anyone doesn't know, so the the visitor they have to go to the checkout page, they have to leave their contact info there. And once they leave, they will get this abandoned cart flow, which is actually abandoned checkout flow. But the add to cart flow is something else, right? And with retention, you can do it. So actually they don't have to go to the checkout page. They just simply add the product to the cart. And if the system has the email address, then you can already email them with the flow. That's a big difference. And then the browser abandoned flow is the third one um actually we can see accounts making more money with the bros abandonment flow than with the
1: abandoned cart flowing play some do some do oh, i um, wonder if yeah let me see here there shouldn't be cannibalization i was wondering if it was kind of you know one or the other would steal like if you took one away would it make the revenues of the other one bigger the cannibalization i think thinking about it logically should only be up like Mm-hmm. if you took out the card abandonment flow, it might make the product view or the browse abandonment go up, but not really the other way around. Cause if someone yeah, makes yeah. it to the card abandonment, you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. I don't know. I agree because, uh, you know, there are these filters that we set up.
0: So technically they sh- one recipients. They shouldn't go into multiple flows. Right. By the way, sometimes it happened because Clavio is not perfect. Right, it can happen based on the filters. Yeah, that's correct. And and
1: Klaviyo has the smart send feature, which I think is enabled by default, which is like one email per subscriber per day max. So like avoids, if you set all these, because that's another thing people said. They're like, well, I mean, you're telling me to set up all these flows. Like, isn't that just going to pepper people? It's like, well, no, because A, like you said, you put a bunch of filters in that exclude they will keep people only in one flow at a time. And there's this overarching filter that says, I'm only Mm going to let one email out one flow email out per day per subscriber.
0: Yeah. 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 So let's talk about retention. So how can this tool collect the email addresses of website visitors? How does it
1: work and how
0: is it legal? Because I know people ask this too.
1: People always ask me that. So it's us only technology. A European operator can use it on their U.S. US traffic and be fine. But um, U.S. only. And in the U.S., email is not opt-in like Europe. It's opt-out, which no one knows. So that's how. Um, That's how it's legal. How does it work? So what we're doing is we are basically taking – anonymous identifiers from the ad tech world and we're de-anonymizing them. So we're just like doing a bunch of stuff to, you know, the ad tech world tracks people in order to serve them targeted ads with an identifier. And we're just like, you know, we, we, we have technology that connects that to a real person basically.
0: Yeah. 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 Um, and you mentioned that data companies, they, they have this thing or you know years ago they had this and actually my company our agency we also got targeted by many data companies and they offered this to us but when we asked questions they could never answer
1: them properly and so that was one of the things that i thought was the problem mm-hmm. yeah i was i was looking at how people how secretive they were about and my whole thing you know and this is like It's an interesting thing to say, but this was just my view from the founder standpoint. I was like, and by the way, we we were using vendors to do it and they wouldn't tell me how it worked either. Mm -hmm. I was like, okay, I need to tell buyers something. I don't even care if it's true. It just has to make sense. And it has to be true enough to where if someone were to go try to verify the story, it roughly checks out. Right. Yeah, yeah. So, so, it, which is, cra- you know, and that, that was, that, that it's funny you said it. Cause like, that was what I thought the biggest It's like the legality thing. People are going to have the objection in their mind, but like, you, you just can't argue with the fact that it's legal in the U S it's like, it may seem like it's not, but like, I can show you the part of the can spam law in 2003 where it says an opt out is required and it doesn't say anything about an opt in, you know? Um, And then it's like, okay, well, surely this is doing something in a way to where it will hurt me. (laughs) Right? Like how, how can you, if you can do this on my website, what else are you doing? Right? Like that was kind of like what I thought. Um, and I didn't, you know, I think I have this a different opinion than most people do about kind of fear of competition also. Um, (laughs) You know, I'm willing to like share our financials. I like say way too much. And, you know, other entrepreneurs are always like, well, aren't you worried about your competitors and like them figuring that out or like whatever, knowing what you're doing. And I think that the benefit that comes from transparency, at least in this situation where it's like, it's also a product that is inherently untrustworthy. You know, so my whole thing is like, I need to be the most trusted person selling this inherently untrustworthy product. How am I going to, how am I going to do that? Right. My approach was just to be as open and transparent as possible about all of it, you know, and has it created competitors? Yes. Like, am I worried about that? I don't know. To some extent, it's good to have some competition. Um, I'm just trying to do things that are building brand because brand will brand will be the hardest thing for someone who's just starting out to create. Right. Um, Ultimately when you're kind of in an early leadership position in a market like this, I think you need to just keep doing things that can reinforce, you know, slightly premium pricing because that gives you the ability to like continue doing more and more marketing. Yeah. At like a compounding rate faster than a new competitor would yeah. um so yeah that's that's kind of yeah. that's funny that you said that i would have said the same thing if i were you well what the fuck is this doing <laughs> right like <laughs> you know yeah um i'm yeah. like it, it to me it didn't seem crazy it's like okay like there's a bunch of publisher networks that are running ads all over the place that are enabling this like why don't you just tell the people that yeah yeah like, oh, it's our proprietary technology. It's like, okay, well, it can be proprietary, but you can at least tell them that, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. so uh, you mentioned that you focus on e-commerce and around, uh,
1: I think you said 18 million ARR, right? Yeah, we're yeah. at 20 now. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. nineteen 19.65 or something. Hopefully, we'll hit 20 this month. Yeah. I hope so. And... Uh you work with more
0: than a thousand stores now, right? Mm -hmm. More than 2,000, I don't know, roughly. Uh, Yeah, like
1: uh, 1,500 or something like that.
0: Yeah. So I think that's, you know, those are great numbers. I mean, uh, and you really shoot for the higher end of Shopify stores, right?
1: Well, our current product only really works in my observation for Mm -hmm. for brands that have like over three, three or 4 million of GMB of sales annually. We're creating, and and that's the list growth product because of all of that stuff that I told you, Mm. if you don't have traffic, we can't resolve the traffic. If you're not, if you don't have a big enough email list, kind of how this, how that list growth product works is like, there's very high positive engagement, but there's also negative engagement that's higher than it you could otherwise support on its own. So you need to kind of like blend the emails in with a larger email program. Mm-hmm. And borrow reputation from your newsletter, basically. Yeah. If you yeah, don't have a big enough newsletter, it'll break the whole thing. Yeah. But th- with most big e-com stores, there's this perfect balance between the amount we can give them and the amount that they can take, you mm-hmm. know? Um, so we are for the, for the abandoned cart thing. Um, I'm starting a beta test probably like next week for a $59 product that should be for like, you know, a hundred thousand in annual revenue up to a couple million. million um, mm-hmm. that will do the abandoned cart add to cart and browse abandonment audience expansion along with sending page view events and add to cart events to Meta. Along with an identifier, which is a huge problem. Yeah. Most brands have not, they're unaware that, and this is totally related to Apple. They're, they're unaware that the, the, the the Facebook pixel just like doesn't work well anymore. They're actually going to deprecate it. I heard they're going to just no more client side pixel. Hmm. So they created this conversion API and if, so it works really well. If you have your Shopify integration to Facebook set up, it works really well for the purchase event because what Facebook actually needs is they need an identifier or an email address to connect with that event because that helps them connect it to the person in their network, right? Their identity grab. It helps Facebook if they get a purchase event and it's connected to Daniel, you, then they know you bought that thing and that helps them enrich the profile. What's really valuable to them, which they were getting before this iOS 14 thing, was the add to cart event and the page view event, the product view event, because those are actually the best people to sell, to, to show ads to. Oh, yeah. After iOS 14, no more, because the pixel. For anyone on their app that says, don't track me across websites, that pixel can no longer associate a page view or an add add to cart event with a person. So Meta's in the dark. If you look at, there's this thing called event match quality that you can just type into Google and you can look at how to see it in your meta business account. If you've got your Facebook integration set up from Shopify and sharing on maximum or whatever it's called, you will see that your event match quality for purchases is like nine out of 10. Your event event match quality for cart and page views is going to be three out of 10, unless you've done something to solve that already. Yeah. So this product that I'm creating, it does this for those two events. It will bring it up to like seven out of 10 through our identity technology. It's giving meta these events with attached to emails that allows Meta to know that they should be serving ads to these people who are looking at products and putting stuff in the cart. Um, so it's those two things. It's it's basically pump events into Meta to help Meta out, and then pump events into Clavio to help Clavio out in in a similar way. You know. Yeah.
0: Is it gonna be a separate uh, product? Or you know, even website? How? Uh,
1: no, I, I still need to figure out how the messaging is going to go. It's still going to be on retention.com. We're calling it signals. Okay. But it's, you know, I think, yeah. I don't know yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of, it's, it's, yeah. It's, I just got to figure it out. Hey Budai Nation,
0: welcome to the Ecom Show. I ask you to subscribe to this podcast and if you like it, make sure you share it with at least one friend. As you probably know, we don't run ads. Our growth is purely organic, so it would mean the world to me if you could support us. I hope we can serve our audience in the best way. And now let's jump into the episode. Million dollar question. You could, uh, you know, at this point you work with 1500 Shopify stores and the bigger ones, and I can see more software companies. They struggle with that. They, they, you know, they, they work with the long tail, smaller stores, and they struggle to go more up market to work with the seven, eight, even nine figure Shopify stores. What do you think, how could you achieve that in relatively short amount of time in a few years? Right?
1: Yeah. So I think the first step is to have a product that is truly valuable to them. Mm-hmm. What I think is great so like there's things I think that are great about that market and things that are limiting. The things that I think are great about it are that <clears throat> they really do talk to each other. They're all in these groups and these chats and they're on Twitter and everything yeah. else. If you create something that is great for that market, it will spread very quickly. Yeah. There's no question about it. Like and and, and by the way like we didn't realize that th- this was our guy until we looked in like our top, you know, call it 25 out of 30 customers met this criteria. It was like founder led, you know, I, we didn't know what the revenue was, but we actually thought there were way more of them than there actually are, which is what I was going to say. The, li- the limiting factor is, you know, you know, y- You can probably only... So, like, there's product-led growth, which is, like, you know, sign up for free or for 60 bucks, and then hopefully you grow, you know, whatever. That's just hard. Uh, We're going to try to do it. You know, Triple Wheel did it. Gorgeous is doing it. Um, Yopo did it to a large extent. Um, Then there's, like, you know, get a bunch of people around a table at dinner with, like... (laughs) your current customers and some influencer they look up to pay for the meal and then, you know, pay the influence. Like that is the actual sales motion for penetrating this audience of people. Once you have a critical mass, you know, and it's very expensive. It's just, you can't even afford to do it unless you've raised a lot of money or you're like to where we were, which we were like very profitable before, you know? So, But it it all, this was what, when, when my last company was stuck, like I couldn't get it past 3 million in revenue because it was a commoditized product in a commoditized space. It was just really hard. Mm -hmm. I thought, and nothing I would do, nothing I did would work. Like I could, you know, I'd I'd run into a Facebook ads person. They'd be like, well, you need to run Facebook ads. And I'd run Facebook ads and they wouldn't fucking work. It's like, I'd, I'd run into a LinkedIn ads person. Like, well, you should run LinkedIn ads. And I'd run ads and they wouldn't work. And I had this theory that the world is set up in a way to where if your product is good enough to spread on its own, then there are these vehicles that will help you accelerate that. But if it is not good enough to spread on its own, then the vehicles that are set up in the world are only going to help people whose products are good enough to spread Mm -hmm. on their own, if that makes sense. like. For instance, I was talking to this guy, Um, I went down to Mexico to visit one of our customers, Portland Leather Goods. They're this, you may not have heard of them, but they're like a very, they're gonna do 80 million in revenue this year and three years ago they were selling on Etsy only. Like this trajectory is unbelievable. They're great at marketing. They build an unbelievably high quality, very low cost leather bag. So it's like 80 to $150, but it's like, it feels amazing. You know, so mm-hmm. it's like it has it's just they create these viral bags because they're so incredible and they're really good at marketing. Um, and he said he's like somebody could copy our website, copy, try to copy our bags, copy our pricing, copy our ads. Facebook wouldn't let that business compete with us because we have this track record <laughs> that allows our ads to work, you know what I mean? So it's like, um, and they have a good enough product that it would spread on its own, but like they can use meta to really hit the gas. So that's my belief on all this stuff. It's like, you know, I don't know how we got our first handful of big Shopify stores, they found us somehow or like maybe, you know, I did some Facebook ads in the beginning of this in 2020 and I stopped doing them because the, the dynamic, we had an interesting business. We had a $19 plan and like we had people paying us $20,000 a month. Right. So it was like this whole, it was a very wide breadth of pricing. And, um, the ads were interesting because in the beginning, I'd spend $5,000 on ads over the course of two weeks. One guy would come in and buy a $5,000 a month plan, and then everybody else would kind of churn off, but it still was creating a lot of awareness. And that's not a way you can grow a subscription business in the long term. But if you're getting payback back on your ads that quickly, you can like keep plowing it back into ads and like, yeah, you know what I mean? It's like your yeah. growth rate is all about speed of payback, but your, your long-term size is all about retention. Right. So yeah. I was like, I'm just going to do this until it stops working. And then six months later, there was a month where I spent 50 grand and we got no big customers. So I was like, okay, yeah. there's like a 20% monthly churn rate on this business. Like we need to just focus on these larger customers and like build shit that they want and figure out how to get more of them. And it's not Facebook, but our original batch of these bigger Shopify guys probably came from that, you know, but they brought a lot of other people in just because they were making so much money on the product. So, you know, I think it just always starts with product. It's like you have to have something that's valuable enough to like grow on its own before it's worth you know i just think it's like it's so tempting to move faster than you should i did it again this year by the way like i should have you know i was so disciplined for for three years of like you know i kept like a six person squad until we had like 12 or 13 million arr and then i'm like okay now we're really going for it there's this huge Shopify audience like let's grow to 50 and like go take the market it was it was way you know we hired 10 or 12 too many people and, you know, it just creates slack in the, you know, um, but it is what it is. I would just say the secret weapon is having something that's like truly super valuable to these guys. And then there's things you can do, you know, to sort of accelerate it. But traction is always step one. Sorry. That was like a long, (laughs) a long winded answer to that.
0: Yeah, I get that. Uh, yeah, so LinkedIn and you know ads, word of mouth, all of that is just the amplifier, the accelerator. That
1: is exactly what I believe. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah.
1: And this is what I say about our product also. If you're crushing it, this is going to help you crush it a lot more. This is not going to fix your business. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, And the weird thing is about the email list growth tool, the people who want it most are the people who are just starting out but it's going to help them the least. In fact, it will probably hurt them (laughs) because they don't have like the necessary stuff in place to do it safely. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's an interesting, I think that's a lot of the, the, the tools that are out there in the world. Like once you have gotten to a point where your business is doing great, there's a lot of stuff out there that can make it do even better. But like, the hard work is getting it there. <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. yeah and uh, do you
0: think that you have to come up with new products and new offers, you know, regularly? Like for you now, this Facebook thing, you'll the one?
1: I mean we're kind of in a in a situation where In order for, so like our first product was just like, put a script on your site. We're going to give you email addresses of people that don't fill out a form. Whether you like that business or not, there are things that you can say about it as an investor or an acquirer that would lead to you discounting the value of those revenues, right? Like everyone perceives this, like you would have to do an unbelievable amount of work to be like, there's no risk here due to that, the more that we can do. That's not that the more valuable our business is going to be. Yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah.
1: So that's one part of it for me, which is unique to my situation. The The reason that I'm making this $59 product is because I'm spending so much time and energy in this Shopify ecosystem. And a lot of it, you know, this megaphone that I'm yelling into it's falling on people that don't qualify to use our product. So it's just wasted spend. It's wasted energy, right? Like, I also think that there's, so I know what's going to happen. Like we're going to have the $60 product. It will probably get good traction because the story's good, right? Like it's really easy to understand why you would want to track people longer Mm -hmm. than seven days. It's also, I've been told, I need to verify this for myself. Um, it's not a price point at which somebody's going to be like, oh, I don't have two X ROI in one month on my $60. Therefore I'm ripping it out. Right. Which like the, the more you start paying, the more sensitive people get around it, I think. Yeah. Um, but the churn's going to be horrible. It just will. Cause like people try stuff and they cancel it at that price point. Like they try it without knowing what it is. They try, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. Businesses go out of business, like whatever. Um, but if we can get 10 15 20,000 businesses using our 60 dollar product we're now a household name in the shopify ecosystem which is like really valuable for the rest of the business i think it's equally important for us to go up to go up market and sell only the abandonment product not the list growth product to to larger brands again to like diversify this whole picture right and because the, 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 the band of these big Shopify stores, it's so small, right? We're going to be through it in a couple of years, probably. Like we will have, everybody will have tried it. Who's going to try it in that universe in like 24 months. We're also creating a B2B product because people hound me all the time. They're like, so it was self-serve in the beginning. Anybody could use it. We never had any traction with B2B, but there weren't really people were not using it correctly. So like I thought I was negative on B2B because I would see people using the B2B product like a B2C company would. And the sales cycle of B2B is so much longer. It could be 18 months, right? Like from, and I was like, the time to value is too long from the time you send that email to the time that someone actually buys is months, if not years. Right. And then there's, You know, so few of them are like super qualified leads. That's just the nature of B2B. What I think I failed to appreciate, which we're doing now, is that if you have a sales force and you have a large ACV, like you're, you know, $50,000 deals or something, it's actually incredibly valuable to you to just know that someone who's on your lead list was actually on your site. And that product doesn't exist today in the world the only product that exists for identity in B2B is IP address to company name, which is fine also, but it's not that great. Right. It's much more valuable to know who the individual is. So, um, so yeah, we're rolling that out too. And then that is like a whole other thing. You know, it's a different, like five, we're going to, we're starting it at like a $500 a month test, like $500 a month for like a B2B guy that's venture funded is like, $19 a month for a Shopify store. It's like literally like an afterthought, like I'll let this run until I am positive. I will never get a good lead out of it. You know? Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. It's like, for me, it's not so much, I mean, I think there's some aspect to like, you're either growing or you're dying, but it's as much about, in my particular situation about like wanting to diversify our revenue streams away from this first thing that we did which like Mm -hmm. i get it like there's reasons why you would sort of discount that revenue like we need stuff around it that there is no reason why you would discount the revenue you know
0: yeah so now you see a bigger
1: potential in
0: adding multiple product services instead of, uh, extending this very first product, uh, across, you know, more Shopify stores. I think yesterday, I just checked that there are around 30,000 Shopify plus stores. So,
1: so the, but the interesting thing about those, and by the way, I think that's the best audience for any of this stuff. If you're willing to pay for Shopify plus, you have a mindset, regardless of your size, you're paying for some perceived performance or status or whatever. They're pushing plus. So when I got very excited about that because I was like, oh man, our best customers are Shopify plus. Therefore there's 30,000 of them. The issue is they're pushing that product down people who are like 500 KGMB. Right. So like there's this, you know, I think four years ago, it was a lot of big brands. Now mm-hmm. they're, they're selling it to people who are much smaller also. So that it's, it's like, yeah. it's like this also, I got really excited because I was like, oh, there's 25 or 30,000 Shopify plus stores. And then there's another 30,000 like them with the same characteristics who are not on plus. The thing that I messed up was, you know, the number of plus stores above 3 million is probably like 25% of them. (laughs) You know, there's just, there's, there's this big, my observation from our experience of doing this for, you know, like aggressively for 12 months now is that which is not you know if you have a lower price product it's fine but like the nature of ours is they just have to be a little farther along to make it work
0: yeah makes sense
1: yeah that's interesting so
0: yesterday we had a chat with our sales guy that you know we can see what the what tools the websites use e-commerce websites and what would be the best to identify those higher value stores shopify plus can be one uh, I thought about Gorgeous, maybe some of the CDPs, Northbeam, uh, you know these tools. Um, yeah, I think if somebody uses Gorgeous, I don't know their packages, their pricing now. From the top yeah. of my head, but I think that can be a good sign as well that they invest into the customer support. Yeah.
1: Well, um, so I've I spoke I speak to their VP Sales and Partnerships. Mm-hmm like probably every month, just catching up. Um, They have, they introduced, they had a $60 plan, which they still have, which was do which they they say did what I described to you. It's like super high churn, but it's like very good for a lot of other reasons unrelated to revenue. They created a $10 plan, which is even worse in <laughs> many ways.
0: <laughs> and yeah, it's yeah. kind
1: of cannibalizing the 61 a little bit and the jury's still out on that when it sounds like. Mm. Uh but 70% of the money they make is from Shopify Plus stores. So yeah. I think Shopify Plus is a great place to start for sure. There are yeah. these tools, several different people who spend a lot of time thinking about this have said similar web traffic is actually a pretty good indicator of a large Shopify store. So if you like took a list of Shopify stores, then took you know, 20,000 U.S. uniques a month and above is probably a pretty good audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably like 10 or 12,000 people. Maybe yeah, it's yeah. 20,000 people. Yeah. Um, so that's you- another one. There's a couple tools out there called charm.io store leads. Um, they have okay revenue numbers, not great, um, you know.
0: Yeah, I'm not a fan of store leads, by the way. We tried Apollo and we found it more precise. Yeah. And you said uh, STM Rush, right? Or similar web?
1: uh, Similar web is the one that I've just, we've got it. I've heard it, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, that's useful as well. And actually, we use traffic uh, to try to figure out things. Um, I have one more question to you today you achieve these great ARR numbers. And if I'm not mistaken, that your team is not big, right? You have 20 people? 30.
1: No, we, well, now we're like 42, okay. you know, it used to be very small for the amount of ARR we have. Now I think it's like, that's still pretty good. I think- <laughs> you know, like four or 500 K per employee. I want to get it to where it's, you know, I would like to double again and only grow our headcount by like 10 people or 15 people. Yeah. Know? Cause I think we can, it's like, we have the necessary there, there was like a note. So this is kind of a weird thing to say, but I believe this. We'll see if it plays out. It's like, you can sit at your desks with six people and get to a certain point.
0: Yeah. Yeah
1: then you need to start going to trade shows and throwing dinners and attending other people's events and penetrating the agency ecosystem to get to this next point. And that requires a certain amount of people, but like there's only so much of that you can do. So it only requires a handful of people in each department doing that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I think, And then there's like this plg thing we're doing that's not going to take a ton of people you know um if anything it like eventually requires a bunch of customer support people but you know whatever like that's not rocket science so my hope is that i'm right about this and we actually can like we've opened up this capacity to do all these things and that's going to be the next push but It's not like employees are going to scale at some linear level related to the revenue. It's just, we have the people we need to have to get to this next thing and then we'll be stuck there and it'll be like, well, what the fuck is next? I don't know. What is it like more products acquire somebody like, you know, but uh, I, I feel that it's the motion that we need to be doing and it's not like, Oh, we have a repeatable sales model. So we need to add 50 more people doing this. Like you can only throw so many dinners in LA, New York and Austin and, you know, Denver or whatever, Mm -hmm. uh, before there's no one, no more dinners to throw. (laughs) Right. Like, so, so that's my hope. My hope is that if we talked in 18 months, we would be 40 million top line, 50% total margin have 60 employees. Mm -hmm. and that's a really good business (laughs) you know that that's my dream we'll see if it check back in in 18 months and see if we're there yeah yeah
0: so revenue per employee is definitely a key key pi that you track. i
1: I like it i like running profitable businesses because Mm -hmm. there are you just it's like no matter what you win like maybe I'm leaving something on the table by not just going absolutely. And, and by the way, in the first quarter, my view is I'm going to go absolutely crazy. Like the, the, it, it felt like the party was still going from like the COVID days. Like it really does feel like the fed by raising interest rates has sort of sucked the euphoria out of the world. And it like, yeah. th- there was still some euphoria in the world in the first quarter. And now it's like, and, and by the way, I prefer operating in this world, but like I, I got drunk on the liquidity punch and was just going for it in you know in kind of an exuberant way in the first quarter um behaving like a venture-backed business i prefer to operate profitable companies because i just feel like you put yourself in a position where you can't lose and if it gets to the business like i was describing where it's like you know that like 30, 40 million of revenue with like a healthy total margin, 30, 40, 50% or whatever um, you open the door to like several different types of people acquiring it at some point, you know, like a healthy EBITDA, you know, these financial buyers can use leverage. Like there's just, you know, a venture business can get bought one way. It's like they're burning money. So it's like a multiple of revenues and that, Right now, they're way lower than they were, you know, eighteen months ago or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, I'm not. I don't know this, but like, I'm sure the the EBITDA multiples have contracted. I doubt they've contracted as much, you know, just because it's like wow. I think that er- good- earnings or whatever, right? They they won't expand much in the in the bull markets, but like, they don't contract as much in the in the bear markets. So That's kind of my attitude. And revenue per employee is like an important. Mm-hmm. It's like a leading indicator to that, right? Like you need high revenue per employee in order to be very profitable.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I can see two different business owners. Some people, they want to keep it lean and they track this number. Others, they don't care at all. They hire a bunch of people. I I don't like, I'm, you know, I used to be like that, you know, Uh, nowadays I'm more on the lean side. Yeah. Actually, our team now we are twenty five. We used to be thirty five. Yeah. And I think we will go down to twenty. Working yeah. bigger companies and uh, everyone earns more money. Actually, in the yeah.
1: Team. No, I mean that's the other thing about being lean. You you get paid along the way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's always better to get paid more. Every time there's not a situation in which it's more optimal to get paid less. <laughs> yeah. So
0: yeah um, I, yeah. If, you, if I have to choose if I want a small lean team making a shit ton of money and not just me but everyone yeah. just having a big poor family <laughs> yeah you know exactly I yeah. <laughs> so, yeah all right so thanks a lot Adam for uh, you know for this uh, long interview today and uh, and uh, if anyone wants to try uh, retention then go to their website retention.com. So they have this great feature for uh, Klaviyo and they are rolling out with new features um, soon. So yeah, I will put the link into the description, check out the website. Also, I will put another link into the description. We sent out almost a half a billion marketing emails for our clients in the past five years and we collected the top 100 templates and now we made this available for free. So check out that link as well and uh thanks again adam thanks everyone and have a great day
1: thank you daniel this is this is great